Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial. I'm Christine Overall. I'm a professor emerita of philosophy and university research chair at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. Radical Philosophy is on Facebook now. You can find it by searching Radical Philosophy Radio Show on Facebook and clicking to follow and keep updated with the show. Happy listening. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolfe and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. Welcome to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking with Assistant Professor Janelle Kuntz about sweatshops. Welcome to the program. Hello, welcome. So, would you like to give us a little bit of background information about yourself? Sure, thank you. I'm a German philosopher. I've studied philosophy and English literature in Germany. I've uh, written a PhD thesis on the moral issues surrounding sweatshop labor. I'm currently in my postdoc phase here at Paderborn, Germany. I've written and I'm covering also philosophy, philosophy of economics, business ethics, and very recently started working on uh, the interconnections between philosophy and literature. So what was it that inspired you to study sweatshops? Uh, Well, that happened quite some time ago when I was writing my master's thesis and I've dealt with the institutional causes of global poverty. So I was analyzing, well, basically I was building on the arguments by Thomas Poggi on the structural causes of global poverty. Poggi maintains that uh, global poverty results to a huge part from a shared global structure, from shared global institutions. So I was doing quite some research on the World Bank, the World Trade Organization, etc. And in the second part of my MA thesis, I was I tried to figure out the responsibilities of richer of, of people living in richer countries towards those living in poorer countries. And I was very interested in that into these uh, interconnections and these global interdependencies and so sweatshops just seemed a natural choice to me. Would you have a definition of what a sweatshop is? Uh, well, one important thing to keep in mind is that sweatshop isn't actually an objective term. It entails very strong social criticism. In fact, it dates back to the 19th century and denoted the workplace of a so-called sweated worker, pretty plastic description of the use of labor force. 
A switched worker did not work in a factory, as was so common in the 19th century, but in his or her home, so meaning a worker would contract with a middleman to perform a certain amount of work. And what has remained today is, of course, the ring of moral criticism to indicate bad and sometimes even unhealthy or dangerous working conditions and also low pay. And the work in a sweatshop is usually being commissioned, which means that those factories produce only for export and not for domestic markets. But one of the most important things to keep in mind about the sweatshop is that it actually refers to the quality of a work and not its type. And the term has recently even been applied to non-industrial and even desk work in order to highlight problematic working conditions. But in generally, sweatshop stands for factories in emerging economies with pretty low labor standards and also low pay, and factories which produce textile or electronics on the commission of Western brands. Just think of the, the iPhone or the Nike sne sneaker, which are being made in China or Indonesia, respectively. Which country would have the most sweatshops? Well, that's difficult to tell, mainly because companies don't have to disclose their specific production sites. This, is inform this information counts as a competitive advantage. But they do, of course, list where, meaning in which countries they have their goods produced. And even though they don't give precise numbers, but, well, if we go by size as regards population, country, and the volume of orders, it's probably China. Are there any children working in sweatshops? Yes, indeed. So there are. It's a huge problem, especially in the East Asian and Pacific area like Bangladesh or Indonesia. So even though uh, companies are quick to deny that and there are, of course, regulations prohibiting child labor, it's, it's still a thing. It's still happening, yes. In which ways do sweatshops violate human rights? Well, a number of things. Overseas sweatshops, there are, there are no right to build unions. There even circulate blacklists among employers, a blacklist of workers who try to unionize. Female workers are victims to sexual harassment, and both male and female workers are being intimidated and to speed, their, to speed up their work speed. Child labor, for instance, is a vicious circle. Children can't visit school and are hence caught in those jobs because of the poor wages. And it is very unlikely, given those very poor wages, that they will be able to offer their children a better future. This concerns mainly Bangladesh. Then there are, of course, the long and very intense working hours. So the labor force of workers is literally being used up, which is why there are hardly any people above the age of 25 working in sweatshops, meaning there comes a point when workers are no longer able to keep up with the work speed. So these are just the ordinary things uh, as workshops, and then there are, of course, the extremes. So I've mentioned the long working hours, and these long working hours, in combination with outdated machinery when it comes to the production of textiles, are, of course, a serious health risk. Workers get injured very easily and might even lose fingers. And when it comes to the manufacture of electronics or costume jewelry, workers often get silicosis and develop cancer years after they have left the factory. Oh, that's, that's quite awful. Are there any actions that companies can undertake to improve conditions? 
Well, yes, they could, and actually they undertook quite a lot of measures to check and improve fungal conditions. But frankly, I'm under the impression that all these measures are, sim- are mainly lip service in order to quiet critics and to make consumers feel well when buying their products. So to rely on corporations in, impu- in improving conditions in sweatshops sounds, frankly, paradoxical to me. Given the profit margins, I really doubt that companies have a genuine interest in improving conditions. Quite a few years ago within Australia, there was a campaign to boycott Nike. How effective do you think that boycotts really are? Well, generally, I think boycotts might be a good idea, a good means to check on one corporation, but it's very difficult to change the whole industry, given sweatshops uh, are a systemic problem. And then there's the uh, issue of how long such a boycott could be sustained. Is it long enough? Does it sustain long enough to make a corporation change its outsourcing practices? As a consumer, you have very little choice in switching suppliers because nearly all of them, no matter how expensive or inexpensive their products are, all of those corporations employ overseas factories. So it might be one. It might be a means to monitor or check on one corporation, but I doubt that there would be any long-term effects. Frankly, what is the connection between capitalism and sweatshops? That's a difficult question. I, I, I sense that you might hint that there might be an inherent problem, or that capitalism is very prone to exploiting workers. Frankly, I'm, I'm not quite sure whether that's the case. Just think, think of China, a communist country, and still there are a lot of sweatshops. So I don't think that we can attribute the problematic working conditions in sweatshops solely to, to capitalism. That's a, that's a really good point. Do you think that the government has any necessary legislation in place? Yes, definitely. I think the uh, the, the measure to get uh, to employ the, to, to the measure to resort to would be political legislation. Be it, I mean, they, we have all the such things. Just think of the World Trade Organization, or in Europe, they have the European Union. Also, they also keep an eye on on competition, on regulation. So that's the thing to go for, I think. But uh, unfortunately, we have the problem of lobbyism again. Uh, it's not only when it comes to sweatshop, but in Europe we have the huge debate now about the tobacco industry. So they are lobbying. They are preventing governments from legislating. So uh, apart from these problems I've mentioned about the problems of implementation, yes, I think it should be done on a political level which might be the only option. What can we do to prevent sweatshops? Well, I know it's pretty popular to ask people to change their consumption behaviour and they have the criticism of so-called fast fashion, meaning inexpensive and fancy clothing which is worn only for a very short time. So there might be a point, according to some estimations, the annual consumption of clothes had risen by 400% in the past 20 years. So given the risen demand, the risen demand also means that uh, producers, corporations are eager to fulfill that demand and hence order uh, such huge volumes with sweatshops. 
So there is some grain of truth to the idea that people could indeed check their consumption behavior, not only when it comes to clothing, but especially as regards electronics. Cell phones and computers contain so-called rare earths, meaning very rare minerals. And these minerals, like coltan, for instance, are being extracted in very poor and unstable countries like Rwanda and Congo, which is also why coltan is dubbed a conflict mineral, because its trade and extraction is linked to massive human rights abuse. Local militia and rebels trade with Coltan to finance their war in the east of the Republic of Congo. So, yes, people could indeed do something to prevent sweatshops, and this is to check their consumption behavior. Like, well, ask yourself, should I buy a new phone when my old one stops working, and should I start or just when Apple offers a new product, a new model? But then again, uh, sweatshops are neither exclusively nor to a major part an issue which stems from bad consuming choices. Well, to ask people to change their buying behavior means to lose sight of the power issues which are at stake when it comes to sweatshops. And that's where the corporations come into play. Well, after all, it was them who relocated their production sites to low-wage countries, and that happens as early as the 1970s. So because of market pressures, companies relocated to poorer countries in order to stay competitive. But I would argue what really happened was that corporations avoided the competition by passing pressure down to their new labor force. And I think we have to keep these power issues in mind. Sweatshops are a political issue. And so not only our consumption counts, but also the kind of government we elect or NGOs we support. So to sum up, yes, people could check on their consumption behavior. Don't buy a new phone every year or every second year. Check on that. And but ultimately, it's it's about it's about political legislation. We have to lobby and to vote in order to to check on on global trade, on the global economy. So in order that uh, people living in less developed, also less developed from a political perspective, are not disadvantaged because they are living in less than democratic countries and are by being, well, being subjected to and sometimes even very willingly being subjected to the pressures of a global market. Yes, that's a, that's a very good point. And I suppose in a way it's... It is difficult for people not to update their equipment like phones or computers because I think that a lot of those goods today are made to be disposable, aren't they? Yes, indeed. Yeah, it's, well, it's, some people argue uh, sweatshops are a good thing because uh, people are able to make a living and we shouldn't boycott uh, sweatshops or we shouldn't uh, criticize corporations for relocating to low-wage countries because fi- people in Indonesia or Bangladesh are finally getting the means to to make a living, to get a job. Yes, that, that has actually been brought up as being yeah. a, quite a good point because what would happen to those people if all the sweatshops closed down tomorrow? Yes, indeed. It's a huge issue. I mean, so there are one, two things, I think, to keep in mind. For one, it's 
usually uh, I've got the I've, I've got the, the impression when reading those papers or or journalists who uh, argue in favor of sweatshops, well, it's like they are portraying people who are critical of sweatshops, people who are asking for boycotts, like as if they are mean persons, like, oh my God, you are harming third world workers, what are you doing? So, but I think that's, that's not the issue. I mean, it's not about closing down the factories. People want, don't, don't want to close down factories. Of course, uh, others claim that would be consequence if we boycott corporations because they, had, they would have to increase the production costs. And uh, given those higher production costs, sweatshop employers were forced to close down factories, even though closing down of factories wasn't the intention of those people who are asking for a boycott. But then we have to keep in mind how very low the uh, actual labor costs of a product actually are. So I have two examples for this. The one concerns a T-shirt for like five euros. I don't know what that's in Australian dollars. Probably it's like four. Anyway, uh, there are calculations that we could in fact double the income of Bangladesh garment, garment workers and the price of a T-shirt would raise by less than a euro. So only uh, to illustrate how how little the share of, of labor costs actually is when it comes to a product. And the other example to illustrate this is a sneaker who sells for 100 euros, which also, like, become, such a sneaker would become expen- more expensive by, like, $2. So the, product, so the labor costs are such a lo- little, account for such little of the retail price uh, one thing, so I think one point which could be made in return to those people who claim that boycotting sweatshops would lead to closing down of factories, one thing to be, uh, one point to be made in return is that, well, one could either cut down on the marketing expenditures or on CEO wages, which had been brought forward. But yeah. it's not, the labor, labor costs aren't actually a thing when it comes to to the retail price. That's a, that's a very good point. So I suppose people, if they were passionate about it, could actually contact these companies and, and explain the situation and say, look, I'm, I would be happy to pay more for the goods mm-hmm. if, if the conditions would be improved the working conditions would be improved. So that might be uh, a tactic to actually use. Yes, indeed. Actually, it could be. And I mean, uh, there are huge huge, uh, endeavours now and also uh, offers when it comes to fair fashion. So this is definitely a thing and people are uh, very willing to give more. We um, see this now when it comes to the consumption of meat. So people eat less meat, but also pay higher prices for it willingly because they care about how the animals are being kept. And um, a similar point could be made to uh, when it comes to sweatshop labor, that, that people say, hang on, um, a, a jeans for 10 euros or 10 dollars is, is fine, but I'd be okay to pay like 15 or 20. We call how, how small uh, the percentage of 
how insignificant actually the labor costs are. So I'd be okay to pay more. Yes, that's definitely a thing. But when then we have to keep in mind it's very difficult for the individual consumer to find out which corporation is actually being sincere and which label is indeed reliable. And so there's a go- lot of greenwashing going on. And this, this leads me back to the point I've made before. It's, it's ultimately a political issue. So people can and should try to work uh, to, to exert some influence when it comes to their cons- consumption patterns. But it's just a drop in the ocean. <laughs> yes, well, in, in Australia I know that if you purchase free-range eggs where the chickens have much more room than they're not in cages, they can walk around freely on grass and people are willing to pay an extra an extra dollar or more so that so that the chickens are treated well so i suppose it's the same principle isn't it with with people and i'm sure that you know with a with just for example a t-shirt from a cheap store like kmart or target probably costs around ten dollars and i think most people would be happy to pay an extra a dollar or two to know that the uh, the wages are fair wages. Yes, indeed. Yeah. But then again, well, which um, as as I mentioned, it comes. It all boils down to politics in a way, and to um, to um, keep an eye on those corporations because it's not only the price tag which tells you whether a good has be, has been made in a sweatshop or not. And before people feel too smack about paying higher prices. Well, it's, uh, a higher price doesn't guarantee that the workers, the rights of workers, has been respected. There was, a, I remember, a news story quite some years ago. Um, a manufacturer from Moldavia, somewhere in Eastern Europe, has had complained, uh, has has a complaint about the manufacturer. Um, it was about well, he had to produce a very intricate kind of jacket, uh, very um, difficult to make and very elaborate, and he argued and he complained, well, uh, the supplier or the, the, co- the uh, corporation who commissioned this is paying me like $30 per jacket. And, uh, well, the journalist got a good uh, critical, and he asked some questions, and it turned out that those uh, factory, uh, those um, corporation was, in fact, Prada, an Italian luxury brand. And those jackets, which which were uh, bought for 30 euros per piece, sold for nearly $2,000 in luxury stores. So just to illustrate how difficult things are and that the price tag doesn't tell you anything about the origin and about the, the workers' rights. So, oh, that's um, right. Yeah, that's an enormous market. Yes, it's pretty pessimistic. I'm sorry for this. So, uh, yes, you shouldn't buy the cheap stuff, but if you buy the expensive stuff, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are helping workers either. So, yeah. <laughs> sorry for having no positive message. <laughs> no, well, it's, it's good to know the truth. And I mean, if that is the truth of the matter, I suppose what we have to do is learn some more strategies in how to combat it. 
So was your research just about any of the strategies to combat uh, sweatshops? I think the most promising approach would be, well, it's called the grassroots approach. So we, we or, or uh, the, um, it's the people in those countries who have to fight for those issues, but also, as I mentioned, they have to be given the possibility to fight for this. As I mentioned before, those sweatshops, uh, in those sweatshops, and no matter in which countries they are located, there's a ban of unions, so workers have no right to organize and to fight for better conditions. So one thing or the initial step must be must be to empower workers. I know this uh, sounds like big and hollow words, and it's still a, a huge and difficult um, issue. So there are a lot of NGOs. There are, of course, also some political uh, campaigns uh, being run in, in Europe, for instance, I dare say it's it's a never-ending story. As I mentioned, the sweatshop was a was an issue already in the 19th century. We all we have always be on the watch and always keep an eye on those in power, be it, be it the governments of those sweatshop countries or be it the corporations, the Western corporations, who are making use of these uh, world international power vacuum, if you if you will, because of the unregulated global trade. It's about being watchful and about being constantly criticizing people and corporations. And maybe if we're lucky, someday things will improve and change. Would you like to add anything else that we haven't already covered? Um, frankly, no. I think your questions were very comprehensive, very interesting. And no, those doesn't come anything to mind. You covered it all with your questions. Thanks. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming onto the program today. So, thank you for having me. I'm speaking with Assistant Professor Janelle Hunts about sweatshops. Hope you've enjoyed the program today. I've certainly enjoyed your company. And do stay tuned for Swing and Sway.